want to welcome you to the Reformed Informants. This is a podcast devoted to biblical exposition, systematic theology, and practical application for the good of the church. I'm Lance Burroughs, along with TJ Darty, and we are the Reformed Informants. Well, it is Monday. It is recording day, but we've got to change of plans. Yet again. Yep, yet again. I think with some of the things that have gone on recently in the news, um, which we'll talk about here in just a second, we thought that we would set aside um, a couple of the episodes that we had planned for and uh, worked on, and we thought that we would do another standalone episode to address something that I think needs to be addressed, biblically speaking. Yeah, and if, perhaps if you're... Uh, new a new listener maybe you're unfamiliar with what we've been doing and just kind of been exposed to um, this particular standalone episode we we um, as Lance mentioned in our introduction um, we approach systematic theology biblical exposition um, that's our goal we walk through um, different topics and and doctrines of the church and in scripture and uh, try to unpack those things and um, give good sound doctrine good theology Think, how to think biblically, uh, but we also want to be very practical. And so sometimes um, as the situation, culture, life, things demand it, we want to stop and say, okay, now we have a real life, um, a real life action, a real life situation. How do we apply that theology? How do we think biblically and respond appropriately with a biblical worldview to the issue, to uh, the topic, the subject in play here. Right. Yeah, in the last couple of days, um, we've seen uh, a couple mass shootings that have taken place um, really uh, across uh, the U.S., one of those being in Dayton, Ohio, and then another one being in El Paso. Uh, so we thought that it would be um, a good idea, like you had said, to respond to these particular instances, biblically speaking, but to respond in such a way where uh, the response or this episode uh, is is somewhat timeless. Mm-hmm. In, in other words, this episode could be a response to 9-11. Uh, this episode could be a response to uh, another catastrophe. Um, so we, we want to lay out uh, biblical responses to how Christians should respond to this. Yeah, I think. Yeah, and and I would I would um, kind of couch that a little bit to say different tragedies that are man inflicted, right. right? Like not this is not more so with the tsunami or the hurricane or whatever else, but this is when you those have would be good episodes. The, too. Yeah, yeah. We, we should probably come back and address those as well. But in particular, you've got individual human beings that have set out with the intention to cause harm and to kill other individual human beings. And the motivation for that, the um, circumstances of that, the method for that, those are secondary issues. The primary issues are the things that we're going to try to tackle here um, in this in this approach. And so, um, so yeah, why do why do we even want to stop what we're doing and actually do an episode on this? Like I know you mentioned, hey, it's important, um, but seriously, why stop what we're doing? Why throw another voice into the ever growing conversation on? Uh, mass shootings, killings, those kinds of things. Yeah, it doesn't matter the 
social media platform that you log into right now or the news channel that you click on, it's going to be the main story. That's what all the tweets are going to be about and the post and the shares and the radio stations. Yeah. That, yeah. You know, so yeah, we're just one of the hundreds, if not hundreds of thousands uh, kind of responding to this, but we, we as Christians need to provide a biblical Christian perspective to this. And I would take that one step further. How, how does, how does God respond to this? What does God say? Um, uh, about this. Remember, we've argued this on the podcast now uh, for a few months that when the Scripture speaks, God speaks. So what does God say about this? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it's necessary on that part to be as biblically sound as we can possibly be, to be as loving and compassionate as we can possibly be as we formulate a response and to let our response be our go-to when these things happen in the future. And unfortunately, uh, they will Mm -hmm. happen again, Um, but we need something uh, to rest on. We need a foundation. We need a framework. So we're going to try and provide one. What would you add to that? Yeah, there's something you said there that really uh, stood out, and that is that in today's world, um, especially with the onset of social media, You've got so many voices, right? So you are exposed every time you log in, you hop on Twitter, every politician has their Twitter account, has their Facebook page, they're firing out posts. Um, Every uh, Joe Schmo has their opinion with their non-followers and they've created a burner account that they can just say whatever they want and hide behind the screen. They're going to say anything and everything that they want to say and you are just inundated with all of these different perspectives and thoughts and viewpoints. And then you mentioned, what does God say? And so why are we addressing this? Well, because we're trying to sift through all the noise and get down to what does a biblical response to these actions look like? And then how do I actually think biblically through these questions? Um, and That's I want to, yeah, I mean, I want to go ahead and, and just admit our limitations here. This is not going to be a full exposition and solution to the theological and philosophical discussion of the problem of evil and all the things that come with that. That's not our attempt, but it's really, we're attempting to how do we respond in the moment when this happens, when we are faced with the questions of the day, when society is asking questions, um, when our neighbors and coworkers and friends and family, they want to come to us and say, hey, what do you do with this? Right. You know, you, you claim you claim to, to have the answers because God has the answers. What are they? Right. What are the answers? Yeah. So that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, our agenda here isn't political. It's biblical. Our, our agenda isn't to talk about politics, but it's to, to look at this and respond theologically, right? So th- that's our agenda. That's our heart. And we want to give a biblical response that's timeless of when things like this happen. Um, and where, where should we go initially, yeah, right? That's good. That's um, really good. So let, let's, let's do this by um, just kind of walking through questions that we need to ask and to answer in order to adequately and appropriately think through this. And so my first question for you and for us to discuss is what is our, or what should be our immediate response? Um, When the news breaks, how should we, what should our minds 
and our hearts go to first when we hear these things? Well, we want to get to the point in our sanctification where we immediately think biblically, right? Mm-hmm. We're broken over the situation. We're broken over the sin. We're broken over the loss of life. Uh, we're broken over the unbelief of a, of a people group, of, of a society, of a culture. Um, we, we want to think biblically on that first as opposed, and you could have added more to that list as far as a biblical response, but uh, that's where we want to start. And we want as Christians to train our own mind and our own heart to when we do face tragedies or catastrophes that, that, that our, our, our knee-jerk reaction, I guess you could say, is immediately to think biblically. Mm-hmm. It, it's not to log into Twitter and fire off a tweet. It, it's not to immediately get on the phone and say something that you're going to regret when you hang up the phone. Um, I mean, add to that. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And what I've found, the temptation, I, my the nature of my job and the nature of the work that I do in ministry, I, I know just wisdom that I can't hop on and fire off a, a reckless text uh, or tweet or whatever else. And so my temptation is to become calloused or to become, um, you know what, I'm just, I just don't want to deal with this. And so I'll just turn off the TV and open a book. Like there's, I don't have to deal with it and, and not necessarily run from the problem, but just not really grapple with it. Right. Not, not respond. Like you said, in brokenness and mourning for the nature of what has happened in mourning for the loss of life in a, a society which has rejected God and which is suffering from that in the families that have suffered, um, in, in what broken and rebellion, uh, brokenness and rebellion and hatred of God looks like, like, if I'm not careful, that's where my heart goes. I don't want to deal with that. Right. And like you said, the appropriate and necessary and what we hope to achieve in our sanctification is that the biblical response be, um, or that we our response immediately be the biblical one. Yeah. Um, and not to try to charge over political opponents or to push up an agenda to say, hey, we've got the answer if we just do X, Y, and Z politically. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it seems like these things are happening more frequently. Um, and I don't know the statistics on that, but I think with the time in which we live, which things, when, when things are plastered all over media now, it, I think people may be just more aware of these types of situations happening. And they do seem to be happening more frequently. But it, it's easy to take the mindset of, well, man, here, here we go again. Right. Right. And, li- right. and like you said, maybe with the busyness of life or maybe to some degree you're just tired of facing these issues, you just kind of brush it to the side, sweep mm-hmm. it under the rug, and, and go about your day. Right. Um, I, I think that there's a better way to handle it mm-hmm. and approach it yeah. as, as a Christian. I would agree. Yeah. Um, so with that being said— what then is uh, the the appropriate or the better first response? Um, and I would I would kind of you know part two of that question is what is going to be God's response when he when if we're trying to think through God's eyes and his perception of a a mass killing, 
what what should be the first things that come to mind? Yeah, when we talked about prepping for this episode and kind of putting it together an outline here, um, it, it, the first thing that my, came to my mind, honestly, in, in the episode, and I think it had to do with what we had been previously recording uh, a couple weeks ago, but talking about man being made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. Therefore, everybody that was involved, everybody that was murdered in... Uh, these situations they were image bearers um they 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 were people created uh, by god Uh, so our heart has to go out for the people that have died because they're image bearers they they were made in the image of god and man it it, it, it's tough uh thinking about catastrophes and things like this happening but Biblically, this is where I started. We, yeah. we have image bearers that have right. been murdered or been killed. And and as you mentioned, um, a discussion on the image of God, Lord willing, the at the release of this episode, coming down the line a few weeks later will be that discussion on the image of God right. um, where we really jump into what that means and why that's so important and the significance of it. But biblically speaking... All of humanity is made in the image of God, and that's why when God when God discusses and, and um, outlines the seriousness of murder, it's built on the image of God. I mean, he says in Genesis chapter 9, whoever sheds man's blood, in other words, whoever kills another human being, by man his blood shall be shed. In other words, if you have committed murder, according to Genesis 9, 6, God tells Noah, that person should be killed because it is a serious offense going on in the verse of uh, the rest of verse 6 for in the image of god he made man so the value is upon man because man is made in the image of god as you said yeah god is serious about this mm-hmm. he's absolutely serious about this if you take someone's life if you kill someone you now owe your life that's right you, your life it should be taken. And the reason for that is built on the foundation is that the image of God um, marks and uh, sets apart all of humanity, right? Like every yeah, single good. person has that image of God. And so it's not, it, there's nothing else that warrants um, the owing of one's life other than the taking or the removing of the image of God from the face of the earth. Right. And and that's significant. And and God, go, he, he, he minces no words. Exodus 20 Verse 13, Ten Commandments, you shall not murder. It's explicit. It's straightforward. God, uh, there is no room for murder, um, which that's the intentional taking of life of another human being um, with with no regard for, like, there's def- they're defenseless. There's right. no, that's what we see here. We see a mass shooting um, or um, in whatever case um, you might be dealing with and whatever the world is facing, you see murder that is that is uh, that has occurred here. Right. Yeah. A couple of New Testament texts, um, some that you're probably familiar with. Uh, Jesus, you know, he says, "If you live by the sword, you die by the sword." Matthew twenty six fifty two. If you take up the sword, you'll perish by the sword. Um, uh, most commentators and theologians believe that he's reaffirming what was established here and. Uh, Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, which you uh, just talked about briefly uh, just a bit earlier. Um, there's another text in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 25, verse 11, when Paul is standing before Festus and Caesar. Uh, Paul says, look, if I am a wrongdoer, 
and if I have committed any sin, but he he says when, when he's being tried here, look, if I've actually done anything worthy of death. So uh, Paul is admitting here that there are sins that someone could commit that would be worthy of death. Now, uh, Paul didn't commit those here in Acts 25. That's not why he's saying that, but he, he's making the point clear. And what would those sins be? Or what would that sin in particular be? Yeah, we've talked about right. Here, murder. Right. right, because the take the removal yeah. of the image of God, yep. because the image of God is what sets humanity apart, and the image of God, as we will discuss in a later episode, um, the 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 purpose of that is to reflect the the glory of the Creator. Right, and so the image of God, when we look upon other human beings, we see the hand of God, the intentionality, the purposeful creation of a human being to reflect the glory of God, and to. Um, disrespect to the point of taking that away is um, worthy of death, as you mentioned from yeah. Paul's words there. Yep. Yeah. What do you, What do you got over there? Uh, no, I'm thinking ahead. Okay. Keep, keep going. Keep uh, well, going. Yeah. A lot of times, again, when tragedies happen, a lot of people think that God is afar. He's standing off. That he's not involved. Uh, that um, he may be indifferent. But but clearly, we we've identified. Uh, multiple passages here where God is not indifferent. He's not one bit indifferent with anything that took place uh, in, in those murders. In fact, I would say the exact opposite is, is true. He, he, he is intentionally there um, because his image bearers, the, the life has been taken from them. That's right. Um, John MacArthur says in his book, Why Government Can't Save You, he says the lives of men and women are sacred because they were created in God's image. John Calvin, in his commentary on the book of Genesis, he says, This language expresses the atrociousness of the crime. This doctrine, however, is to be carefully observed, that no one can be injurious to his brother without wounding God himself. Oh, I love that. <sighs> I love that. I mean, that's what uh, I'm immediately, when I hear that, I think of Psalm 51. David says in his lament, in his repentant psalm, he is speaking of the uh, heinousness and the seriousness of the sin in which he committed uh, by taking Bathsheba, by uh, killing her husband, and um, the cover-up, and he's confronted with Nathan. But he says in that, in that psalm, against you alone, God, have I sinned. Well, wait a second. David sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against her husband. He sinned against his army. He sinned against the nation of Israel. But David understood the seriousness. That sin was against God. And I think Calvin's words capture that. No one can be injurious to his brother without wounding God himself because made in the image of God yeah. to take life away is to wound God. Um, not in the sense that God is now weakened, right. but that this is an act against yeah. God himself. Yeah, if you murder someone, you are you are messing with God, you, right. you are stepping on His that's right. on, on His toes, and all sin, and that's what this is. This is sin. All sin is against God, um, because God is the one who has instituted and stated, "You shall not murder." He is the one who has placed the value on human beings. He is the one who has said, "There shall um, by man's blood, um, if, if the man who sheds blood by uh, by man his blood shall be shed," because 
because of the seriousness of the image of God that has been placed on humanity. And, uh, and so, yeah, this is, this is a serious thing, and I think you, you're, you're right in this to say that God is not sitting back um, observing from afar without any, any skin in the game. Mm. Like, this is, this is an affront on who God is, and his response um, is a serious one because it's one that he takes seriously. Mm. So no, what would you good. what would you add to that? Anything anything else to, to kind of answer that question of how does God respond to Man, this? Man, this is just the sanctity of life. This is how God views life. It, it, this isn't uh, a second-tier, third-tier doctrine. And we're, we're, we're talking about this is a primary and essential truth to the Christian faith. Man is created in the image of God. Can't overlook that. Yeah. Cannot overlook that. That's That's really good. So if we uh, keep going here and move into the next component of our episode, uh, that inevitably leads us to the question, why does something like this happen? Why did this happen? How, how, how do we answer that biblically speaking? Or does the Bible give an answer, right? Yeah. Is there something that we can land on? Um, well, when you ask this question, I think, uh, I think a couple things come to mind. First of all, this is a natural question that people constantly want to know. Um, in the case of, in this particular response, El Paso or Dayton, but you just name whatever the most recent shooting is or whatever the most recent um, attack has been, domestic terrorism or whatever else, everybody wants to know the motivation. Everybody wants to know who, what's driving the ship here. What's really, what's the root cause? Because we want to know. We want to know why. We want answers to this question. And I think that speaks on a couple of levels. First of all, that's, that there's, a, there's an inherent uh, justice that we seek, right? Because we've been made in God's image. We seek justice. We want to know the reason, and we want to seek justice for uh, those who have been uh, murdered, those who have been affected by this. We want yeah. things to be put to right. Well, humanity knows this is wrong. Yes. Why? All humanity would gr- agree that, that this is wrong. Why? Why, why? why is there all of a sudden an agreement on mm-hmm. this? Well, Romans 2, what you just explained, mm-hmm. right? The law of God written on our heart, yep. right? That, that God has given us this grace and this ability to understand basic moral conscience, right? Like we yeah. know there's something inherently wrong here. And because we know that, we want to know, well, how how did this even, how did we divert? How does somebody not understand this? And there's, there's, an, there's an inquisition here that is rooted in an affirmation of God's law. Right. And I think that's important for us to recognize. Um, and then secondly, I think there's, a, there's also the component of, well, we know it's wrong, so how do we prevent it? Like, why did this happen? If I can maybe figure out the motivation for why this happened, I can maybe fix it from happening again. And although I think the intentions are good, People are looking in all the wrong places to figure out what it is. And you see this right now, 2019 America, the answer is the the question of gun control or whatever. This is not a gun problem. This is not a, a terrorism problem. This is not a um, you name it, fill in the blank problem. This is a sin problem. And I think right. we, have to, we have to get to the root here. This is a wickedness of man problem. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a place to talk about guns. There's a place to yeah. talk about terrorism. But that's not what we're doing here because right. that's not what we're concerned about. We're not concerned about political issues here. 
We're concerned about what the Bible says about this. What does God say? And God says this is a sin problem. This but, is a sin issue. This is a depravity issue. This is a mankind issue. Because the, because you name what insert whatever tragedy you want to. You can take. You know, you mentioned 9-11. You can talk about the Oklahoma City bombing. You can talk about um, domestic terrorism in any other particular place. You can talk about um, international terrorism and whatever you see, whatever. Uh, you could talk about um, uh, the Holocaust, right? Like you're talking about mass murder and and this complete lack of respect and regard for human life. Well, name the weapon it changes or sure. the motivation it's sin it's a wickedness it's a rebellion that's the core issue because if you have someone who is not subject to the highest authority in the universe and no longer uh yielding himself or or submitting to that authority he he doesn't he doesn't have any any limitations it doesn't you, you can put whatever weapon in his hand right. um and he will find a way to inflict the mass uh, murder, the mass pain, the mass uh, damage, whatever that might be. Yeah. And I get the arguments. I understand. But like you mentioned, this is not a political statement. This is a root cause. Uh, this is a sin issue. Yeah, so let's look at some scripture yeah. here here to support this. You've got your Bible open to John 8, so go ahead and talk about that one real yeah, quick. Yeah, John chapter 8. Um, these, these powerful words, I'll start in verse 44. Um, well, let me go back to verse 43. Why do you not understand what I say? This is Jesus speaking. It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's that's what Jesus that's how humanity is characterized. That's Jesus' commentary on humanity. That's yes. Jesus' commentary on murder. Yes. That it stems from a an evil desire that is characterized as connected with Satan himself. The, the the father of lies, the murderer from the beginning. That's who he equates uh, humanity. As you mentioned, the commentary on human nature. Like, this is what human nature is. It is a a rebellion, a rejection of God's, um, of God's decrees, of God's um, moral uprightness, of God's... Um, divine and perfect intentions for for the human race it's a rejection of those things and it's a pursuit of his own desires and that's what manifests itself in these wicked acts right yeah i, I think we could go as far to say that murder is satanic yeah because it's coming from the orchestrator or the father of murder um i think that text in john 8 uh, 44 and 45 is actually alluding back to genesis 4 cain and abel mm-hmm. Uh, we see Satan orchestrating murder even in the early chapters of Genesis. Uh, I mean, we see this happening all over Scripture, uh, even with uh, uh, the birth of Christ, right? Remember That's right. Satan essentially trying to orchestrate the murder of Christ the That's first right. couple years of his life through King Herod. So th- th- this murder problem, this murder issue, this murder um, that we would definitely classify as sinful, this is sin, this isn't something that's new, right? This exactly. isn't something that's come on the scene in 2019. This has been what man uh, falls back to 
in their sinful condition, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 4. Mm-hmm. Um, I, w- I would add to that a couple passages in the book of Revelation, Revelation 21 and 22, talking about the new heaven and the new earth, it describes those people who won't be there. And in Revelation chapter 21, down in verse 8, it says that murderers will not be in heaven. Chapter 22, verse 15 describes murderers not being in heaven. So one of the responses that you see from these tragedies and these incidents is that people want to know, where is God? Why isn't God punishing this person? Why isn't God inflicting his wrath right now? He will right. if that person remains unrepentant. Right. Right, if that person remains unrepentant. So uh, I mentioned those passages because Genesis 4, the beginning of Scripture, Revelation 21 and 22, they address the issue of murder. Mm-hmm. So we, we can't gloss over it because Scripture doesn't right. gloss From over it. From beginning to end, yeah. Scripture is, is, um, touches on this. So What would you add? No, well, I, I want to ask another question because you've made the argument, I'm going to say you, but we've made it, we've made the argument that God values life, that God is one who has said, don't murder. Um, and yet we have a rebellious human race. We have those who uh, clearly have desired to do that. Is God not powerful enough to stop? Does God not really care? Like, why does God actually let this happen? Right. I, I, I'm going to ask that question knowing full well that you don't have adequate time to really answer all of it. But I want to ask that so we can have a discussion. Well, we did a series on theology proper where we discuss some of God's attributes and his character and his nature, we, we touched on this a little bit, but we need to let God be God. I think that's a Luther quote, right? Okay. Let God be God in terms of God isn't doing the evil. He, he can't do evil. His character won't allow him to do evil. Plenty of texts that talk about that. However, God is allowing the evil to take place. It's not purposeless, but there is a purpose in the evil. Now, I know upon first hearing that, maybe a little cringe-worthy, but there, there, there's a purpose in God allowing this to happen. Well, I would say, yeah, that sounds kind of cringe-worthy until you think about it. Sure. And you think, what's the alternative? Well, yeah, that's what I'm... Did I, did the, I steal the, your the, thunder there? No, no. Okay, go no, ahead. Say, no, say the alternative. Well, with the alternative being that if... Either it has a purpose or it doesn't. Right. The alternative being that there's purposeless or senseless or useless suffering that I, that we are witnessing and enduring a tragedy for tragedy's sake. Right. That that at the end of the day, the final word goes to the guy who pulled the, the trigger. Right. Like he is the one who calls the shots, and now because of this you know wicked act, we all suffer. Right. And there's there's mourning and but that's there was no real purpose behind right. that like god can maybe sort of pick up the pieces but there's there's no real intention behind it but that's not the god of the bible praise god it's not right. the god that of the is, bible that like that, not, that's that's such good news right that's that is not the god of the bible so maybe you've gone through your own tragedy maybe you've been through something difficult um maybe not to this extreme but god has a purpose in it right there, 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 there is a, a purpose. There, there is a reason. In God's divine wisdom, he sees this fit for 
his own glory for his own purpose, for right. his name's sake. Um, that, that, that's the God of Scripture. Yeah. What, where? Okay, so you say the God of Scripture. Where in Scripture can we turn to, to validate that, that type of statement? Well, we've mentioned on the podcast a handful of times going to the Isaiah 40s, Yeah. right? Chapter 46, verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Yeah. God is out to accomplish his purpose, his plan for his good pleasure, and that encapsulates everything that takes place in this existence. Yeah, Daniel chapter 4, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? Uh, the point there being, we don't, we are not at liberty to question God. Um, even, even if we want to, we can't say, well, why would God do it this way? Well, God is God and God is sovereign and God is actively working out, um, to his good pleasure, um, his purposes, his plan, his will. And it doesn't appear to us that these things are part of that, but in fact, there's actually more to the story. Um, I know we have in our notes here. Let's talk about the story of Joseph. This is a, this is a classic text, but it's a really important text to get the picture of the importance of what we're trying to say. Yeah. Well, just to briefly summarize. Uh, yeah. This is a summary of Genesis 37 yeah. to 50, <laughs> verse 19, right? Yeah. Well, let, let, let's just look at the life of Joseph because if you read those chapters of Genesis, and it's a big chunk of Genesis. Because of the importance of it. And I think what can be drawn out of that, the implications from Genesis, the first book in Scripture, can be applied directly yes. to what we're talking about. Um, so if we look at all of the bad things that happened to the life of Joseph, if we didn't know the end of the story, we may think, well, how could God have ever have used Joseph in the midst of all of this disaster, mm-hmm. right? So he was he was hated by his brothers, multiple brothers, by the way. Yeah, a lot of hate. <laughs> yeah, a lot of lot a lot of hate. Uh, he was stripped of his clothing. He was stripped of his dignity. Uh, he was sold as a slave. Um, he was taken to a foreign land, and that comes to fruition really in the early chapters of Exodus. He was falsely accused, he was bound, he was thrown in prison, he was shackled, he was chained, and then he was not only treat, treated like a slave, but then he was treated and viewed as a, as a criminal. And even, even in his enslavement, he, and in his uh, being in jail, he's forgotten, yeah. right? Like, like God gives him this ability, this miraculous you know, dream interpretation, and he's completely forgotten for years. Right. As he's just sitting there, um, rotting just away, rotten. Yep. yeah, with no sign, no glimmers of hope, nothing else uh, to point forward to what's to come. Right. And you look at just that on the surface, and you go, "Well, that's bleak." Right? Like that's that's we're talking about a guy who has suffered years of agony and years of of just mistreatment, and there's been, um, I mean, it just seems senseless. It seems purposeless. But I love Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, so I'm going to take it from you. 
Joseph says these words. He says, as for you, speaking to his brothers, you meant evil against me. He knows the intentions of their heart. He knows um, much, much in the same way that we could characterize the evil intentions and actions of all of the um, those who have orchestrated these types of, of, of activities. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Right. So what? why is that so significant? Well, when through all of this, God places Joseph at the right hand of the most powerful man in Egypt, and he essentially saves all of the Jewish people. All of God's chosen people are saved because of a severe famine in the land, mm. and Joseph is able to provide food and 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 give provisions to God's chosen people. Um, that family, the line through which the Messiah would yeah. one day come. Yeah. Like this is significant, and God has a purpose that Joseph could not have seen. He could not have understood, but God had a purpose, yeah. and God had a plan in that. And, and if that doesn't happen, we, we don't have the Exodus. We don't have the raising up of Moses. Uh, we don't have that nation enslaved to the Egyptians. Uh, so uh, as Joseph is going through all of this, I don't think that he saw the other side. Right. The same would be true of people going through the tragedies right now. Right. Right? It's, it's, it's hurtful. It's tough. It's difficult. You may not see the other side yet, but know that the, the, there's a purpose behind it. Right? Yeah, I it's think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Um, Paul says these words, So do not lose heart. Mm. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction. Now, that does not mean that the affliction is light or brief or like that is language that Paul is using comparatively. He's saying that in this life, our affliction is light and momentary because uh, of what he says next is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And the, the word there, um, that he's, what he's trying to communicate is, we focus so much on the here and now that we forget about God's purposes and intentions and long-term eternal plan. And it's easy to be distracted by those things, but not to focus on that and rather to think about the things that are unseen and eternal. What would you, what would you Man, say no, add to that? No, that, that, that was a good word. Uh, very timely to what we're talking about, Yeah. 2 Corinthians 4. Um, okay, take us to another a New Testament text that speaks on an important and related uh, discussion, um, Luke chapter 13. I know this is something that that you had, uh, you had mentioned that this is really pertinent, really important. So walk us through a few verses in Luke 13 and, and explain uh, the the application or the significance yeah. of that. Yeah, Luke 13, 1 through 5. Um, if you're driving and listening to this episode, yeah, whenever you get home for the evening, go back and, and read this text uh, on your own. Um, that way you can see it for yourself. Uh, Jesus is in the midst of a crowd and a crowd of people bring up a tragedy, bring up a, a massacre, bring up a murder 
uh, of a few people, and they want to know how Jesus is going to respond. So in Luke 13, 1, uh, the, the text starts off uh, by saying, Now on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. So uh, the, the crowd uh, from the previous chapter brings up a massacre that took place. And what had happened is, is that Pilate ordered the execution of some Galileans um, and their blood was mixed with the sacrifices that these Galileans were making um, at the time. So, tragic. It's an atrocious event uh, that takes place. These Galileans are killed out of nowhere. They're massacred out of nowhere. I mean, they're just making sacrifices, and, and now, now they're gone. Their, their blood is mixed, uh, spilled, and thrown all over the sacrifices. So Jesus responds in verse 2, Jesus says to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this fate? Okay, so what the people were getting at, well, they must have died because they were worse sinners Mm. than, you know, their next-door neighbor. They they had it coming. Right, yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? They had it coming for them. They were terrible people, so that's why they died, right? Well, Jesus responds uh, to that question, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you all will likewise perish. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, the question was, again, were those people worse sinners than others, right? Were were the people involved in 9-11, were they worse sinners than others? Were they they just worse? Right. Right? So the the question is, are, are the victims victims because of who they are? Yeah, right. Right. Well, well, Jesus says, no. No. Right. That's not the situation at all. But Jesus does say, unless you repent, you all will likewise perish. So Jesus' concern isn't the catastrophe. It, It isn't primarily about the murder. His main concern is what was the spiritual condition of the people that died. Inevitably, Everyone is going to die, but unless you repent, you will perish like 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 they did. Right. Right? Anything to comment or comment no, or add no, to keep, that? Yeah, keep keep rolling. Man, that's good. So now Jesus brings up another historical event in verse four to add to this. He says, Or do you suppose that those eighteen on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who lived in Jerusalem. So there was a tower, most likely it was a tower guarding an aqueduct that had been built. This tower, it it just randomly fell and killed 18 people. So Jesus... By the way, tragedy's been occurring for thousands of years. Yeah. Like this, I'm not making light of this. But this, ha- this has right. happened. This is not a new phenomenon. Go ahead. Yeah, so a massacre takes place in verses 1 through 3. And then in verses 4 and 5, we're just talking about an accident, mm-hmm. right? We're just talking about an accident. So the same question is insinuated here. Well, those 18 people must have been worse sinners. That's why they got it, right? That's why they died. Well, Jesus says, look, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Look, it's inevitable. Every one of us, TJ and I, everyone listening, it's inevitable that we will die. 
it's important in times like these that we think about death. Yeah. We think about death because it's going to happen. Jesus's point primarily is you need to repent from your sins and believe upon him or you will perish. Right. And yeah. these these events call to mind the uh, how quickly that we can be forced to answer the bell. Right. Right? Like we 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 don't have we don't have the option to just wait it out and do whatever we want and just think, you know, I'll get around to that when I get around to it. There's an urgency to repent, and that's that's part of what Jesus is doing yep. here. He's saying, repent or perish. There's a weight to that word to think, look, this is think about how quickly this happened, and think about when, when in the case of these mass shootings, these are people who were um, at a Walmart yeah. or people who were at, just out about at a club or doing whatever. Um, maybe at a ball game or maybe, um, you know, going to church or maybe going to work. Like that's where these things have happened. And just like that, their life is demanded of them that very hour. Right. Repent, believe, or else we will perish. And so there's a, the biblical response is a self-examination. Yep. You know, that there's a, there's a weight that comes to this to say, I need to ensure that I am indeed in the faith, that I am indeed, um, uh, I have assurance of, what happens to me when I die? Right. There, there's some, there's some, some introspective reflection that should come with this type of catastrophic event. Yeah, we, man, we, we just don't know when we will die. Right. And the urgency behind believing upon Christ. What, what's more urgent than right now? Right. Right. And and I, I think that there's a heightened, like we we just there's there's a heightened sense of I don't like it to think that my life could be taken from me by somebody else, right? Mm. That's not right. Mm. It's it's definitely against God's law, against God's uh, revealed decree that you should not take my life from me. But the reality is, is those things happen in a sinful, broken, fallen world. Yeah. And so we don't want to deal or grapple with that reality when in fact it should make us all the more a focus to do so. Yeah. Um, and yeah. this is not to take away from the victims. No. This is to focus on that reality because that's what Jesus says. Likewise, we will be just like them if we don't if we don't repent. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, when he wrote his 70 resolutions, uh, one of his resolutions was to think of death often. Right? We're not trying to be morbid here. Right? We're, right. We're, but the reality of it is, based on our sin... We have sinned. The consequence of sin is death. We will die. So there needs to be a self-examination in order for us to understand whether or not we need to repent and truly come to faith in Christ. It's it's so necessary to to think about death, especially in these times. And like you're saying, we're not taking away, right? We We don't have an agenda now based on you know, the tragedies that's happened, right. you know, in, in these instances, but it is self-examination. It's, it's time to honestly assess important things of life. Right. And this would be one of them. Um, okay. Kind of wrapping up this question before we get to one more question we have to ask. Um, yeah, I think you maybe have, have read or, or referenced a, a, an article from R.C. Sproul. Uh, do you want to talk about that? Uh, yeah, kind just, of a way to sum up some of these yeah, just, conversations. Yeah, just to quote R.C. Sproul, he said, I don't think God has revealed to us a full and final answer to the problem of evil and suffering. However, that doesn't mean that he's been silent on uh, the issue, right? So, 
yeah, the full depths and the intricacies of how God is using evil and suffering and death and all those things for his ultimate and final purpose, all of that hasn't been revealed. But there has been plenty revealed in Scripture to be able to handle these situations, which I think, and not exhaustively, but at least we've touched the surface on how to handle that mm-hmm. um, in, in the midst of tragedies and yeah. catastrophes yeah. and whatnot. And, and I think, you know, if you could kind of wrap that up in three kind of concise ideas or statements. One, evil is real. Two, God does not act randomly or irrationally um, or without purpose. And three, evil isn't ultimate or final. Yeah. Um, there's coming a restitution. There's coming uh, an account. There's coming new heaven, new new earth, new creation. Um, so, yes, evil is, is there. We certainly can't ignore it, um, but it's not random. It's not purposeless. It's not... Um, it's not ultimately in control, and it's not ultimately going to win the day. Okay, so you're saying it has a purpose. Yeah. Okay, so bring us into the conclusion here um, on God using evil and allowing it to happen. Well, are you thinking And I didn't of, bring a pulpit in here. But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, it well, could go that direction. Well, I'm going to ask a rhetorical question just to let you think about it, this is this is the preacher in me. What is the greatest act of evil that's ever been uh, that's ever been done on the on the face of this earth? Well, that would be the crucifixion, the killing of the Son of God Himself, right? So you the think, only actual innocent person, right, right, treated the exact opposite. Yes, right. I mean, you think about okay, well, God doesn't care about evil, and God, where is God in the midst of all of this? And God doesn't know what it's like to really God, God used the most wicked, heinous acts of rebellion and wickedness and, and sin and evil and murder to accomplish the payment for the sin of his people to accomplish salvation, to accomplish, um, restoration, to accomplish, um, a, a means by which there's a restored fellowship. I mean, the cross is the pinnacle of evil, and yet it is also the pinnacle of God's grace and goodness and mercy mm. that's poured out upon sinners. Um, Acts chapter 2, the uh, verses 22 and 23, Peter's uh, sermon, his Pentecost sermon, he said, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. What's Peter saying? You murdered this man, and yet God had a plan to use it. God had a plan and a purpose. This was the plan and the purpose and the intention. He didn't go to the cross by accident. This is what God designed and planned and intended to happen. Um, And you, independently of God yet simultaneously used by God, evil, sinful murder occurred at the cross. you gotta, you got to take over. Yeah. i got to stop. Well, a couple chapters later, Acts 4, is the apostles continue to preach, and they continue to teach, and they continue to make this point clear. Verses 27 and 28 say, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, 
along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. That's reminiscent of what Peter just preached in Acts chapter 2. You've got Herod and Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel, the Jews, they're all gathered together, crucify them, crucify them, crucify them, crucify them. But on the other hand, they're doing exactly what God had purposed beforehand to happen or to occur. Yeah. Gosh. That's, yeah. That, so, so dealing with the problem of evil, you, how do you deal with, how do you answer this question without pointing to the cross? Right. And that's why I would say when we talk about, oh, what's, what's the solution? How do we prevent this from happening again? How do, we, how do we make sure that America doesn't fall victim to yet another senseless shooting? Well, the answer is simply this. It's the gospel. Um, it, that's the only, the only answer, um, and it comes through the use of the most evil and heinous act that's ever happened um, because if the gospel does not make itself manifest in the hearts of men, then man is going to seek after his own ways and man is going to continue to rebel against God. Um, And you're going to see the brokenness and the uh, wickedness of humanity fully manifested in all these different ways. That's, that's happened. That's consistent throughout history. America, we're no different. We are, we are just another pawn in the game um, that over the course of time, we are just like the other nations that have shown up in this way. Um, and shown our sin in this way. And the only answer is salvation that comes, a new heart that comes by the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right. Yeah, that'll, I mean, that takes us into our initiative. Yeah. We can wrap up the episode here discussing Jesus Christ. Yeah. Right? He is hope. He is a Savior. He is a forgiver of sins. Um, and, and that's what we're primarily concerned about, mm-hmm. right? We're primarily concerned about the spiritual condition of anyone that listens, right? But yes. we're concerned about the spiritual condi- condition like Jesus was in Luke chapter 13. It's inevitable. You and I are sinners. We are going to die. Do we want to face the second death, which would mm. be spiritual death mm. that Revelation describes? Well, we don't. And you can repent and believe upon Jesus Christ and f- receive forgiveness of sins, and eternal life can be found in Him and in, right. in Him alone. Yeah, I would add to that. Um, I think one of the things that, that really has bothered me about this whole thing is people throwing blanket statements onto social media saying, oh, America needs Jesus, y'all. You know, America needs Jesus. Well, yeah, America needs Jesus, but it's not some kind of faux pretend acknowledgement. of who, it, it is genuine repentance. It's genuine belief. It's genuine gospel response um, in the hearts of men. And we need, um, as you mentioned, that those who are listening, we need to evaluate ourselves and say, is this who we are? Um, because God has protected us to this point to allow us to come and to hear the gospel and to have the opportunity to respond. And we must believe, we must repent, um, and we must respond to the gospel in that way. Um, that's what we've been called to do. Yeah. Anything else we no, want to wrap man. up, man? No, that's, uh, that's great. Appreciate everything that you said. Hey, likewise. I think it's definitely helpful. Likewise. And this is an important discussion, and we hope that it's been uh, helpful for you. Um, 
Perhaps if you're new, um, this is the first time you've been exposed to the Reformed Informants, uh, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, you can like us on Facebook at Reformed Informants. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at R underscore Informants. And you can find links to all of our social media platforms, um, any previous episodes we may have done, and upcoming episodes. That's all available on our website. And that can be found at www.themajestiesmen.com slash Reformed Informants. Yeah, if you have any questions or suggestions for topics of discussion, feel free to email us at reformedinformants at gmail.com.